I feel like when you miss a week, you have to kind of get everybody back up to speed. But we are concluding kind of tonight a section in Genesis on Jacob. And, and so as we've discussed this, the way Genesis reads is it reads as a genealogy, right? So you have this genealogy. And I said from the beginning, the thesis statement of Genesis and really the thesis statement of Scripture is Genesis 3.15. After Adam and Eve have sinned and rebelled and God pronounces the curse upon humanity because of sin and rebellion, he speaks first to the serpent. And he tells the serpent, right, that uh, this woman is going to produce a seed, a child from her womb will crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman becomes this identity that we're looking at throughout Scripture. Who are God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing? And that's what Genesis becomes, this genealogy of telling this story of a people who came and who will ultimately, this one will come from this people, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as you look at this genealogy, you go through it just like we saw in Genesis chapter 5 where they list out 10 generations just kind of quickly. You see that in Genesis chapter 10. You'll see it uh, here in chapter 36. You'll see how they list out these generations. But what they do is they stop and whenever somebody important comes along, they stop and they tell the story of that person. And so you get to Abraham and it tells what promises were made to Abraham. And while Genesis 3.15 is the thesis of Scripture. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, becomes the outline of really Scripture and how Scripture is going to lay out, how God makes a promise to Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans that, that I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless you, and those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. And this becomes the promises that are made to Abraham. And then Abraham's son, Isaac, those promises are reiterated to him as he is that child of promise. When Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child, the Lord brings a child to them through Isaac. And then you see Isaac has children. He has twins, Jacob and Esau. And that's what we've been looking at over these last few weeks, this story of Jacob. Isaac gets about a chapter in there, and then Jacob gets this longer passage. Jacob becomes the one whose name is changed to Israel. We'll see this. And he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so tonight, we're kind of bringing to a conclusion that part about Jacob. Now, Jacob's not died off yet. We'll see him appear again in chapter 49 of Genesis. We'll hear about him whenever we have the Joseph narrative and the brothers. Whenever that happens, we'll hear about him again. But this is kind of concluding his section tonight. And they concluded in a unique way. They take Jacob in chapter 35. Then they squeeze in there the death of, of Isaac. And there's three deaths in chapter 35. We'll discuss that. But the death of Isaac, his father. And in chapter 36 speaks about Esau again. So it takes the two sons and it kind of summarizes their life, if you will, kind of brings them some way to conclusion within the middle of that, the death of their father, Isaac. So just putting together how the narrative lays out, there's sense to it. In other words, it's not just random. It's telling us this story and giving us this understanding of who Jacob is. Jacob also, we'll see, is the end of what we call the, the patriarchal period. 
In other words, you'll see referenced over and over again, and we'll discuss this a little bit, but you'll see reference uh, that you are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three are mentioned together several places, many places throughout Scripture. You're, you're, you know, I'm a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've received the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the three patriarchal leaders there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, because after Jacob, it becomes the 12 tribes that, that take that lead. So you see those differences as well. We're coming to that place in Genesis. And now, remember, Jacob has been a journey. Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his father. He deceived his brother. He got the birthright. Esau got mad, wanted to kill him. Jacob took off and ran. And even though he was a mama's boy, he kissed his mama goodbye. He took off and ran and he ran to his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban was all about prospering uncle Laban, if you will. So he worked the deal with Laban because he liked Leah, the pretty one. And he, he, he wanted her. Nope. Rachel's the pretty one. Let me get that right. I don't want to mess that up. He sat there and he liked Rachel. He wanted her. So he worked a deal with Laban. I'll work for seven years. He prospered him there. Laban outdeceived the deceiver. Remember, you can't ever be the, the great deceiver ultimately. Laban outdeceived him. And when he thought he was going to get Rachel, he got the ugly one, Leah. That's the Bible talking. That's how it puts it. He got Leah, and then he had to work seven more years for Rachel, 14 years down. And then even after that, he worked for six more years from Laban, and Laban wouldn't let him go. Threatened his life, threatened everything, because everything Jacob touched, the Lord was with him, and he prospered him. And so he wouldn't let him go. And so finally, after 20 years, the Lord appears to Jacob. Now, he had appeared to Jacob before, back in chapter 28, when Jacob's scared for his life, he's got nothing. He's laying his head on a stone out in the desert. That's all he's got left to his name. And he's there having run from his brother who wanted to kill him, having kissed his mama goodbye. He takes off to go to Laban. And there in chapter 28 on a stone, he receives a vision from the Lord, remember. And the Lord tells him, I know you're running. You got nothing in your hands. Behold, I'm with you in verse 15. I will, I will keep, here's where I got to put on my glasses. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So Jacob has a promise, even though he's leaving the promised land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and now him. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back to this place. And then we see over in, over in chapter uh, 32, I believe, the Lord comes to, uh, let me make sure here. Where am I at? In uh, all of this, chapter 31, chapter 31, verse 3, we see here Jacob is trying to get away from Laban, and the Lord tells Jacob in verse 3, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so I'm going to bring you back to the land. He tells him to return to the land. I'll be with you. So he tells him. It's at that point he takes off. He's scared when he meets his brother Esau because does Esau still want to kill him? It's been 20 years. And sometimes brothers just hold those kind of grudges. And so he's scared when he gets there. He works out a plan. But remember, God met him on the way back. And there he wrestled with God. And he wrestled with God and he wouldn't let go until God blessed him. And God touched his hip and he walked with a limp. But we talked about how it was better to walk with a limp into heaven than to strut into hell, right? 
And so ultimately, God there met him and humbled Jacob. You see the change in Jacob, and Jacob comes out. You see the change immediately. He goes to meet Esau. Before, he was sending his people in, hoping that Esau wouldn't kill him, didn't care about his people. He goes out. He meets Esau. Instead of Esau killing them, Esau embraces him, tells him he loves him, misses him, and all this other kind of stuff. And then he tells Jacob, come stay with me, and everything will be all right. Jacob decides not to do that. He's like, no, nah, you, you go ahead. I'll be there in a minute. Y'all remember? And he goes the opposite direction to the place where God didn't tell him to go, not to the land, but to uh, Shechem. He goes that direction. Well, once again, just like Lot before, Jacob was not where he's supposed to be. God had told him where to be. In this land, I will bless you. In this place, I will bless you. Jacob doesn't go there. And what happened to Lot? Not only when Lot wasn't where he's supposed to be, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord had to pull him out. But then after that, Lot's supposed to go back and he goes up into a cave and there he has a real bad situation. We don't want to revisit, you can read your Bibles, with his daughters even because of they're not in the right place where they're supposed to be and sin creeps in and it gets terrible. Same thing happens. Same thing happens here. Jacob is not where he's supposed to be. God had told him to return to Bethel where God had met him. Go back there and Jacob doesn't go there. Jacob goes to the place he wants to go. And remember Jacob's arrogance in this, going to the place he wants to go, he builds an altar there. Like, Lord, I'm not going to listen to you. Tell me where to go. I'm going to go where I want to go, and now you bless me here. I'll worship you here where I want to. Soon after that, Jacob's daughter gets out, runs with the wrong crowd. She gets defiled by the men of Shechem. Jacob's sons, a foreshadowing of what's to come, of what they're going to do with their brother Joseph. Jacob's sons then take, uh, take it into their own hands and they kill everybody. And that's how chapter 30, 34 ends. Jacob says, what do I do now? He's in a terrible spot. His sons have committed this atrocity, even uh, Simon and Levi. And now what does he to do? And just like the Lord is, the Lord is faithful always to his promises. Amen? And remember, the main character of Scripture is not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The main character of Scripture is the Lord God himself. And he is bringing about his promises in spite of the wickedness even of his people sometimes, in spite of their sinfulness. And so the Lord in his graciousness goes to Jacob. Before he said, I'm going to take you back to the land of your fathers. Then he says, go back to the land of your fathers. And this time in verse 35, you know how they tell you, you ever been that thing? It's like, explain that to me. Somebody explain something to you. And you'd be like, explain that to me like I'm an eighth grader. You know what I'm saying? Like explain, dumb this down for me so I can understand it. And you, they dumb it down and you still don't get, all right, explain it like I'm four. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know how that goes? It's almost like that for Jacob. The Lord is saying, I done told you to go back. You wouldn't do it. Sin has just destroyed your family and your life because you won't listen to me. So let me explain it to you like you're a two-year-old. Chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, get up out of this place you're not supposed to be. I added that. Y'all see how that works? As long as I admit it. Get up out of this place you're not supposed to be and go to Bethel. Dwell there. 
God goes in explicitly. This is a gracious move on the Lord's behalf. He could have left him right where he was in this problem, but God goes and explicitly says, go to Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L. Go there. Make an altar there. Don't make an altar in this place I didn't tell you to go. Don't make an altar in some other place. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. That place, remember in chapter 28, where he laid on the stone and he, and he had a vision from the Lord. And the Lord said, I, you're going to go to Laban, but I'm going to bring you back here, right? The Lord says, that's where I've been telling you to go back to, there where you make an altar. That's where I am. That's where you'll find blessing. Go back there. The Lord spells it out to him. Don't make an altar where you think you can, which teaches us a good lesson, don't we? Oftentimes we try to do this. We try to work our own plans and our own schemes. And then we pray and say what? Lord, bless what I just did. You see? Bless this, Lord. This is the way I want it to work. Now, Lord, make sure you do blessing. You do your thing about my plans and my schemes. That's exactly what Jacob did. This is where I want to stay. This is what I want to do. It's not exactly what you've told me. Now, Lord, bless it. Bless it. And the Lord said, that's not how it works. Remember, our relationship with the Lord is not a negotiation process. We're not working out a deal. We're not hashing out the terms of the contract here. The Lord says, here's how it will be. Here's what I will do for you. Now you come to me. We don't get to bring our, our uh, uh, charges or our desires to this. In fact, what we are learning is that our desires aren't as good as what the Lord has for us, right? And so he says, this is what you are to do. Go to Bethel. Bethel meaning the house of God. Dwell in the house of God. Dwell there. And so Jacob, knowing what he must do this time, Jacob said to his household, to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. All right. A couple things I want to do here. Now, this may not apply to anybody in this room. But what we see here for Jacob is a man entering into his twilight years. Again, it may not apply to any of you. You may not be entering into your twilight years. All of y'all are quite young. But he's going into the fourth quarter, if you know what I mean. He's headed back. He's been through it. In fact, this whole passage is teaching us this because he's going back and his father is going to die. And that's kind of that term in life when you're, especially, you know, we, we all hate when people pass away without the proper order. You know what I'm saying? And, but when we die at the old age, it's kind of for when your father passed away. My dad's 74. You know, I don't even think about it anymore. I just assume that. But when, my, when your dad passes away, it moves you into another category. You know, you don't have your dad there. You're the one. And that's kind of what this is for Jacob. He's going back and he's going into his twilight years, if you will, back in Bethel. And so this chapter kind of helps us to see how is it that you are to spend those twilight years. And what does the Lord say to him? First of all, the first thing you must do is you must remember... God's blessings. You must remember God's blessings. Every time something happened with the Lord, what did Jacob do? He erected an altar, it says. He worshiped. He built something. Why? As a remembrance for what God has done. 
They want to remember what God has done. Our memory is important in our walk with the Lord. Our memory is important for us to remember how God has cared for us, how he has watched over us. It's, it happens for Allison all the time. We'll come into some crisis situation in life, and at first you lose your mind. I don't know about y'all. At first you act like this is it. It's over. Good Lord, we're all going to die. You know. But then you step back and you go, what are we talking about? When this happened in our life 20 years ago, God took care of us. When this happened, God watched over us. When that went on, God was there. He didn't leave us or forsake us. He's watched over us and cared for us. And you start adding up all these ideas in your life and all of the transitions and all the moves and all of the things that at the time were disastrous, and you start looking back, you start realizing that at every point in my life, God has watched over me and cared for me. He has been good in every spot. And the moment we thought we couldn't make it anymore is the moment he's holding us greater than we have ever felt it before. And we might not even feel that at the time. We may not even realize it in the midst. But when we look back, and I'm not quoting any kind of, any kind of poem that you may have on your wall about walking on a beach. <laughs> but when we look back, we do realize, oh, that's what happened. He was caring for me. We cannot forget about this. As we look in our life and enter into these, to, to the years of our, our life that are there toward the end, like Jacob was, we got to remember, man, I got stories. And I want y'all to know, young people need to hear your stories. Young people need to know how God, in fact, Paul says this to the Corinthians. I know it's been tough for you guys, but God will comfort you for he's the God of all comfort. And God will comfort you, why? So you can comfort others. And your stories, our stories of God's faithfulness is comforting to me, right? It's comforting to all of us to hear how God has been faithful over and over again. And every single one of us, if you're a child of God, you got those stories. In fact, I guarantee you got a story like Jacob of the one where you probably were doing something stupid and the Lord finally said, that's enough, it's time, right? And you can probably tell me how it was. That's enough. It's time. And the Lord pulled you out of stupidity. I'm not saying that was y'all. But the Lord pulled you out of it and said, it's time. And that may have been a sermon you heard. That may have been a friend giving you a word. Just like David got pulled out of his stupidity with Nathan when he came along and said, that, that sheep, that, that person, Robin, is you. That's you. And that moment where he pulls you out, you look back and you're there. I was like Jacob. I was where I wasn't supposed to be. I was doing what I shouldn't have been doing. I was asking God to bless what I was and who I was. And God still came after me and jerked me up out of it and said, here's how I'm going to bless you and care for you. And that becomes our testimony. And then since then, God has kept me and he always keeps me and he comforts me and he watches over me. We can't forget the goodness of God. We can't forget it. And so Jacob is reminded as he walks back to Bethel where he put up an altar to how God said, I am at that place in Bethel. God told him, I'm going to bless you just like I blessed your grandfather and just like I blessed your father. I'm going to bless you. God said, go back to Bethel and remember what I told you. Go back to those moments in our life when we received the love and the care of God and remember how he watched over us. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Those memories are important. God's blessing in those things are important. God's faithfulness is important. But then number two here, we see this commitment to purify yourselves, 
Jacob looks at his family, older in life now. He's trying to get back. And he says, put away your foreign gods. He should have done this before, right? But at this point, he says, look, it's time. Put away your foreign gods. Take off your garments. What they wear represented what they were worshiping in some ways. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Commit yourselves again to the Lord. Put away foreign gods. Change your garments. Commit yourself again to the Lord. As long as we are alive this side of heaven, we must constantly be seeking after holiness. We must constantly. It never ends. We must be putting sin to death. You know how Romans says it? Uh, the old King James puts it like this. Mortify sin. Mortify the flesh. You know, I like that. Mortify. We don't use that word every day. I think of mortar. I think of like cement or something with blocks. But mortify means put to death. Put to death sin. The spirit within you can help you do this. Put it to death. You kill sin or sin will be killing you. And that doesn't matter if you are eight or you are 88, right? That you have to purify yourself and continue to seek after the Lord. Continue to commit yourself to it. Continue to do these things. And as, as Jacob says, as he, he takes these, and this is what he, he goes on down there. They journeyed uh, on, on a little bit. Verse 4, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. In other words, he took all of that nonsense from foreign gods and foreign deities, things of this world, and he buried it. He said, it's done. We're not going back to that anymore. Purify yourselves. So as long as we are alive, we should be seeking after the Lord, purifying ourselves, not bowing down to any other God or any other thing, not, not taking part in the things of this world ultimately, but purifying ourselves before the Lord. And then, finally, you see that we got to realize that death here is, is coming and it's not the end. So what happens ultimately as they, they journeyed on, a, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. In other words, God has not only told him to go, God is making sure as that none of the cities around him, Jacob's got a whole crew with him, you know, it's a big crowd. And so God is making sure that they don't feel threatened by Jacob. They don't think he's coming into battle or to war against him. They don't feel like he's coming in to take their land. So God even, it says, the Lord puts a terror upon these cities so that they don't pursue after the sons of Jacob. God takes care of so much more than we ever see. Y'all know that? Sometimes I think one of the best prayers we can pray is to ask the Lord, the Lord, we know, this is what one guy told me one time, and I think he's right. We know about 5% of what God is doing, right? And if we knew, it's almost like that's enough. If we knew 6%, we'd be overwhelmed until we couldn't take it anymore. It's like the old saying, count your blessings, and the preacher says, don't do that, because once you start counting, you'll be quickly overwhelmed, and you will realize just how good God is. You can't count that high. And so ultimately, that's what we see here. Jacob's got no idea as he's walking through that the Lord is causing these other cities to stop, to not come after him, to not presume that the Lord is taking care of things. That's just like I think about it whenever my kids are driving. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The Lord put a terror in every other car's heart when my kid goes by. I know I got a terror, so God put it in theirs. You know, protect them, take care of them because we have to put that in his hands. 
We have to put that in his hands. And every day, we don't understand even how God takes care of us and watches over us. And he does. He does. So he goes on. Don't pursue him. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, calling the place the God of, means the God of Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now, chapter 35 is often called the chapter of three deaths. It mentions the first one. This one's kind of interesting. Deborah, only been mentioned before, she's Rebecca's nurse. This is Jacob's mother's nurse, right? Re Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called the name Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Now, this is interesting. Not really sure why he mentions Deborah. What we do know is that he's going to come down and mention the death of Rachel, mention the death of Isaac. We see the death of Sarah before. So it's significant when they not only just tell about the person, but they tell about that person's death. We don't get the story of Rebecca's death. We don't get that. Isn't that interesting? We assume then that Rebecca passed away while Jacob was with Laban at some point in some place. Now, again, remember what sin cost Rebecca. She schemed against Isaac with Jacob to get the birthright, to do all those things. Jacob was her son. She loved him dearly. He was, as we say, a mama's boy. And because of that scheming, even though the Lord still blesses Jacob and keeps the promises, there's always consequences to sin. And while he gets reunited with Esau, he gets reunited with Isaac, he doesn't get reunited with Rebekah. So maybe here Deborah has been traveling with him as one he considers like a second mother to him, the nurse who cared for him when he was young. We also know Deborah was, not, uh, was from a different land, the land of Haran. We also know that. Some speculate that it tells of this because as he's gotten rid of the foreign deities, as he's gotten rid of the foreign uh, clothing and all the foreign uh, uh, accessories, if you will, of the people getting to bringing them into the land that the Lord had promised. He may be burying Deborah here as a symbol of they're putting everything behind them, even the land of Haran and those who are connected to it, putting it all behind them and burying them here, weeping. Either way, we get this notice here of Deborah, not Rebecca. Maybe that's the tie to his mother. But we see death happen. He goes on. We're going to see some more. Looking down uh, as verse 16, they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. It got bad. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So here's Rachel, his wife, whom he loved dearly, verse 19, and Rachel dies. She dies in childbirth. And she was buried on the way to Ephrath with his Bethlehem. So here is Rachel. She dies. Just in a little bit, Isaac, his father, is going to die. And so you see these instances of death. Jacob is coming with the reality that he may be next, Right? Moving into that final phase in life, his father's dead, his wife has passed away now, his, his wife whom he loved, he worked 14 years for her, she has passed away having a child, Benjamin, his 
Deborah, this connection with his mother has passed away. And now what is he going to do? What is he going to do? Go back to verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again. In the midst of this death, God appears to Jacob again. When he came to Padam Aram and blessed him. Now I want you to note that this is the last appearance of God. Uh, and I believe just as it was an appearance with Abraham under the trees of Mamre, just as it was an appearance with Isaac, this is a physical appearance of the Lord here with Jacob. And it's the last one. We don't get this again. Again, kind of symbolizing the end of the patriarchal period, right? This is the last one where there's this appearance of the Lord. Joseph will hear from the Lord. He'll walk close to the Lord, but he appears. The Lord comes to him through how? Dreams, remember? This is the last time that actual appearance of the Lord appears, comes in Genesis. And so Jacob here is that last one, this end of this patriarchal period. And the Lord said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Israel means he contends with the Lord. Remember, this is not just about him fighting with the Lord. It's about the Lord working with Israel, Israel and the Lord working together. And it's going to be a tumultuous relationship because what happens? Oftentimes Israel doesn't do what God wants them to do. Just as Jacob went to the wrong place, Israel will do the wrong things, but they will contend. And just like we sometimes contend, I'm not talking about you again, but just like we contend with our wife. Y'all ever contended with each other? Your wife's husbands? Don't answer that. We don't have to. You don't have to. Just sit in time. But just like we contend, at the end of the day, we come back together, right? There may be some contention, but we work it out. There may be some, 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 some times where there's great disagreement, but we work it out. That's the same way here that the Lord is speaking about this when he says he calls him Israel. The Lord, he contends with him. That they're going to be this tension, this relationship, but they are together and what does he call Israel? He calls him his son, right? There's this contentious relationship that they will have, but the Lord will see it through. You are Israel. And Jacob's life has been testimony to this. God and him are still here. Although they've contended against each other because Jacob has tried to do his own thing, God has gone after him. They're still here. You shall be called Israel. So he called his name Israel, the father of the sons who will become the 12 tribes, which is why the whole nation will be called Israel. Israel, called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Now, Benjamin is his last son. We'll see that, right? You have Benjamin here. Benjamin is his last one. Uh, Rachel's passed away. We'll find out over, over on the next page that Jacob's probably 120 about this time. So his, his dad dies at 180. His, he was born at, when his dad was 60. Y'all can do math. I don't do math, but that's how it works. So Jacob is coming to this. And the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I give the land to your offspring after you. The Lord, just like he did with Abraham, just like he did with Isaac, now with Jacob, reiterates the promise again. What I told Abraham has been passed on to you. The promise has come down. And what I told him, I'm telling you. 
And so you should look at these last few years of your life and you be fruitful and multiply. And what he means here is not to continue. Now he had a bunch of children, but he doesn't mean for him to do that. He still says, even though you're toward the end of your life, you have the opportunity to be fruitful and multiply. And how will that be? By leading your family by leading in your family in such a way that you do not become a hindrance for their growth, but you become a springboard for their prosperity, right? That's what he's saying. Here's how you become fruitful at this time. You help your children get to know the promises that I've made and you pass that on and you set them up for success, not for failure. You be fruitful and you continue because kings are going to come from you. And they would. The nation uh, uh, as we see kings coming from the line all throughout Israel, all throughout this time, the kings uh, from Saul to David to Solomon on down would come from Jacob and his line, all of this. And so he's saying, you have to be fruitful and multiply. Do not get into the way. Keep feeding upon the word. Keep remembering the goodness of God. Be fruitful and multiply yourself. Be fruitful and multiply yourself. Continue to live holy in these things. I think this is one of the more important words for all of us, right? Is that as long as God has us here and we have the capacity to lead and to do things, that we must be fruitful and multiply. In other words, just because I'm done having children, and Lord, I hope I'm done having children. I've had four. <laughs> that's plenty. You know what I'm saying? I've done my part. Quiver is full. <laughs> and so just that. That doesn't mean my fruitful years are over. So when we see this with Adam, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? Of course, he's telling you, have kids, fill the earth, keep doing it. But this is continuing here to be fruitful and multiply to Jacob after his childbearing years are over. And how would he do that? By pouring into his kids what he already knew. What he remembers of God's blessing, teaching them in those things. This is the end of the patriarchal period, right? From this point then, it's Jacob's job to continue to tell the generations after him and they to know what God has done. They're to know the promises. They're to know the truth. So just as God had appeared to Abraham and said, here's what the promise is for you. He appeared to Isaac. Here's what the promise is for you. He appeared to Jacob. Here's what the promise is for you. Now he's saying to Jacob, you pass that on to your kids and to their kids and you keep going and don't be a hindrance to them in growth. You be a help to them in following after me. That becomes the whole point. And if we can get that in our, in our closing years, as long as the Lord has us, the great testimony of God is that we, even in that time, can still be passing on the truths of God to those who come after us. Still be multiplying, multiplying the hearts of people that follow after them, right? Don't stand in the way of it. Yes, your kids are going to do stupid stuff, Jacob. He could have told him this, and we all could have told him this. And they're going to. In fact, here in the next chapter, over in chapter 37, Joseph is going to do some stupid stuff because he's going to have some dreams, and he probably didn't handle it too well when he told his brothers that y'all are all going to bow down to me. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not blaming, but he probably may not have handled that too well. But then his brothers didn't handle it real well at all, right? And so he hands him the real pretty coat, and he puts a real pretty coat and walks around like Ric Flair. Say, look at me, guys. Look at what I got. You know, that didn't go over too well. 
That didn't go over too well. So yes, our kids do crazy stuff and they keep going, but we don't stop investing in them. We don't stop telling them. We don't stop teaching them. One of my favorite things is to have my dad or my wife's dad pour into my kids. You know what I'm saying? They're going to listen to them far faster than they're going to listen to me. They're like, granddad said this. And I'm like, shoot, I said that 10 years ago to you. (laughs) And I said it better. You don't listen to me. There's nothing sadder, too, than to see someone who has known the love of God. And I say this with all sincerity. To see someone who has known the love of God their whole life. They have had other people pour into them, right? They have had other people pour into their life. And then when they get older, they get bitter. And they forget how good God has been to them. I had a sweet lady who the first church ever pastored. I may have told this story before, but again, I've only been, I've been here a year, so y'all got all my stories. We're going through the second time now. <laughs> sweet lady, I was my first hospital visit in my first church that I was a pastor. She had been a member of the church for 70 years. 70 years as a member. She was upper in her 80s. And I go into the hospital bed and she said, Pastor, meanest look on her face. Now, y'all may know her, but she doesn't... <laughs> I don't know what I've done to deserve this. Why is God doing this to me? And, you know, at first I wanted to spit out my theological answer to this. But then I just felt sad for her, right? Like, who has been your pastor? First of all, who has ever told you you deserve any good from God? You know what I mean? Who has ever told you that God has to bless you or has to do this to you or you do these things and this adds up in some equation where everything's going to work out perfect for you. No, in fact, it tells us that we're going to suffer. It tells us that death is coming for each and every one of us if the Lord doesn't return. And it's going to come for all of us different, but the gift of God is life. And so no matter what death is, no matter what our trials and difficulties may be, right? Those are slight and momentary compared to the glory that awaits us. And so we face this knowing God's blessing. I just sat down and I said, talk to me about your life and reminded her of how good God has been. And of course, that was the Lord. I didn't know, have a clue what I was doing. The only thing I was taught in college and seminary about hospital visits is don't unplug anything, don't push any buttons, and don't sit on the bed. <laughs> and I was not taught, I was not taught to never touch the covers and move them so to see what may be under them. I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> There's nothing sadder, though, than to see a saint of the Lord get to the end of their life and be bitter. Because God has blessed, and he's blessed over and over again. And there's nothing sadder to me. And I'm going to say this as the pastor. Y'all shoot me if you want to. I'll be done in a minute. Think about this church even. And how 30 years ago, for example, 30 years ago, people in this church, a generation before, right? Some of y'all were here, but you know, generation before, set this church up for the future. Investing in a worship center, investing in a space, investing in things that set this church up to grow, right? And so we don't want to stand in the way for the next 30 years. We want to be fruitful and multiply. We want to, even as we think about 
This time, we want to think about the future of Taylor's here, this church in this place, and we don't want to stand in its way. I hear so many two this week of churches that are dead and dying with nine or less people left because they don't want to change with the people around them. And y'all, that's the height of ignorance and foolishness. Because what we are after is to be fruitful and multiply. And what that may mean is that we make investments that may not sit the perfect with us right now, but they set the next generation up to grow and to reach more people with the gospel. And the Lord said to Jacob, just because you stopped having children, you're not done. I need you to invest in them. I need you to be fruitful. I need you to continue in the work. And I need you to set them up for success. Set them up for success. That's what I need you to do. And that's what the Lord called him to do. And Jacob looks, and now his wife dies. Sons of Jacob were 12, it says, and into verse 22, verse 23, the sons of Leah tells and lists out all of those kids who he's got. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Guess where Isaac was? He was at the place where the Lord met him. Y'all remember that? The Lord came and met Isaac underneath the trees at Mamre. And when Isaac goes to die, where does Isaac go? I'm going back right there. I like that a lot. That's where I'm going. And so he goes to Isaac and he meets him there. And Abram and Isaac, had, where they had sojourned, and now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people. Amen? That's what I said to Allison. Hey, I popped a question. I asked her if she wanted to marry me. I said, would you like to be buried with my people? <laughs> she said, yes. We got four grave plots at Red Bank Baptist Church, honey. We got it. So uh, I'm a good bye. <laughs> Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. But there is a truth in that right there. Gathered to his people. Y'all know who he's gathered to? Abraham, he's gathered to those who had trusted and believed in those promises. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. At the end of this, Jacob now, Esau is going to take off in the next chapter to another place. Jacob is going to be there at Bethel. He's going to establish himself. His kids are going to grow up there. And through this, we've seen, I think, how God had called Jacob through a tumultuous life, ups and downs, a broken road that leads right back to where God wants him to be, though. And isn't it crazy how God does that for us? And gets him right back there, and he says, here is how I want you to spend it. I want you to remember my blessing over and over again. I want you to continue to seek after holiness and purifying yourself. Get rid of any foreign god or deity. Follow me to death. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply and care for that next generation. That's what he calls them to. And I think there are tons of lessons in there for us tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for it is good. And we praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. God, we ask tonight that you would continue to bless us, continue to help us to grow, continue to help us to seek after others, continue to do exactly what Paul said to the Philippians, consider others greater than ourselves, look into Christ Jesus as our hero. All of this we ask for your glory and in your name we pray. Amen.